0: And if you think that was exciting wait till the day he really comes. <laughs> Amen. We're going to be looking in Luke 23 this morning but first I'm going to start off with Proverbs 14:12. You don't have to live too long in this world to discover that appearances and first impressions are not always accurate. In life, we find sometimes things are not always as they seem. That's why this proverb is true. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I understand that in their hard winter months in Kansas, they have accidents happen when uh, small children venture out to the ponds where the ice is frozen over. And to them, it looks okay, it looks like it's thick enough to hold them, it should be all right. But the end is disaster. And if you think about it a little bit, it's not hard to see that, that there are many wrong choices in life that can lead to death, and it happens more than we probably would like to think about. And in our culture today, We have many who want to believe something, they want to think it's true because it fits with the way they live, but it's not true, and in effect they choose to believe a lie, which is another type of death, intellectual suicide. So it's important then for us to align our thinking and our plans with what is true. But this can be tough, can't it? What happens when a majority believes something that that is true, but it's not? The example I give here is, uh, it's not a fatal situation, but how many of you remember from history classes that they taught us that the people long ago used to believe the world was flat? Just, just about everybody remembers that, huh? We've got a majority here, I think. And we ask ourselves, can the majority really be wrong? The majority can be wrong, can't they? Well, I have a surprise for you. This historical fact they taught us is not true at all. Anybody having a hard time with that? The people long ago believed the world was, was round. Actually, their term was, they said it was a sphere, was it, which is actually a more accurate term to use when you're describing the planet, right? So how did it become common thought in the 20th century that we believe people in the 15th century thought the world was flat? In 1828, Washington Irving wrote a book called A History of the Life and the Voyages of Christopher Columbus. And it was published and mistakenly taken as a scholarly work. In other words, it was supposed to be all factual, right? Uh, but in book two, chapter four of this biography, Irving gave a largely fictional account of the meetings of a commission established by the Spanish leaders to examine Columbus's proposals. One of his more imaginary elaborations was a highly unlikely tale that ignorant and bigoted members on the commission had raised scriptural objections to this idea that the world was spherical. It was a move to make religious people look bad. You can Google it. There's a lot of stuff there. Well, the problem is, is the part about the earth being flat caught on as fact. And that's what we got taught. And we believe it's true. Well, we did until this morning, right? I was thinking about this, though. We should have questioned it, though. On the one hand, they're telling us that people are afraid... To venture out on the ships because the world is flat and you'll you know fall off the edge or something like that run into monsters but at the same time as we're reading the history and we're being taught we're seeing explorers wanting to go and we're seeing kings and queens willing to fund them well if they had really believed the world was flat that wouldn't have happened so you see how easy it is for the majority to be wrong right The majority being wrong was never more true than when you get into the spiritual or religious world, though. And although there are many religions in the world, most of them have a similar basic theology when it comes to how can I be right with God or how can I go to heaven? They have plenty of things they don't agree about, but they do have that one common thread. I think Carl Knott wrote a book one time and he talked about there are two basic religions in the world. the bay area is very diverse and if we were to go downtown today to the mall or uh, the main street and we were to conduct a survey and ask people one question if you were to die today would you go to heaven what do you think the response would be Most people think they have a pretty good chance, don't they? You may think that this morning, too. And, you know, if God would say, why should I let you into my heaven? They would probably respond with something like this. They would tell God about the good life they've led, the good things they did, and they would tell him they didn't murder anybody, and they tried to do their best. And that's exactly what I said when somebody asked me that question 28 years ago when I was at Cal State Hayward. And actually, after I graduated, um, I went back and did the same survey myself and found a lot of of answers very similar. And for a lot of people, that sounds pretty good, very acceptable, until you look at the possible answers to the question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? What are the possible answers to that question? And these are... There's not uh, a perfect exact list of it, but this, this will give you an idea. The first answer is, yes, I know for sure. Number two, I'm pretty sure. Number three, I think so. Number four, I feel like I will. Number five, I hope so. Number six... I don't think so. Number seven, and I got this answer the, uh, the other day when I was talking to somebody. He said, I don't know. And number eight, the final, and there are not many people who admit this, but there are a few. They say, yes, I know I'm not going to heaven. I am going to hell. So there's a continuum of answers there, isn't there? But there's really only one satisfying answer if you think about it, right? But it's the one answer most people cannot give. The best they can do is, I'm pretty sure, I think so. Why are they not sure? Why was I not sure when somebody asked me? Because I thought I had a pretty good chance, but when he asked, are you sure... Well, no, I'm not sure. You would think out of all life's issues, this would be something you'd want to be sure about, and you would investigate, but we don't, right? You go buy a house, you're going to get a termite inspection because there's no way you want to move into a house where there's been bugs eating away to the foundation, right? But We don't use that kind of diligence when it comes to the things of God. But if you think about it, how is life worth living if you're going to go through it like you are only to end up in hell? That's not worth it. Let me just say it. What's funny to me is that you can hear people have some kind of assurance at funerals. You ever notice that? They're standing at the funeral around the the casket and it's, well, now he or she's in a better place. Isn't that what you always hear? That's what they say. And it sounds nice, and it is nice, but is it true? Because that's the only thing that matters is if it's true or not. If they're really in a better place, well, hallelujah, that's great. But most people don't know. And if you, I don't encourage doing this, but if you were at a funeral and you heard somebody say that, and you went up to them and said, well, how do you know? And you pressed them on it, you're going to find, well, they don't really know, they just hope so. Easy for us to say when it's not our body laying in the coffin, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I want more assurance than that. That's not enough for me. I don't want to be in the coffin and be too late. So what is the thinking behind all of this? And here it is, and some, some of you are, are familiar with this, especially if you spent time talking to people about it. People sincerely believe although they can't describe the details, that God is going to use some kind of scale and weigh out the good versus the bad in their life. And that's how he's going to judge them. Or he's going to use some kind of grading system like we had in school, right? Yeah, grading, great on the curve, right? <laughs> A represents outstanding distinction and excellence, right? B signifies levels of solid accomplishment and goodness. C signifies average, simple, common, adequate, but ordinary. D represents... Yeah, well, you're barely passing, right? And F, of course, you remember, is failure. All right. Well, that means everybody who's got an F is going to hell, right? That one's easy, isn't it? What about the people who get a D? What happens to them? Some people say they're going to hell, and some people say they're not. <laughs> What's that? Purgatory. Purgatory. <laughs> Do the C people get in? Some people want well, the C+ plus maybe. They're really hard on other people when it comes to the grading them. But they're really not sure, OK? But if we look at the grading system, well then, well then the B and the A people get in for sure, right? Well, that makes sense, right? All right, Well, so then most of us think we're going to heaven. we must be a B at least, right? How come we're not sure we're going? That's where the contradiction starts to show up, and you have to understand most people, including me, we don't think these things through, okay? But if we did and really examined what it is we're believing, we'd find holes in it, like we're doing right now. So how did we come up with this thinking? Well, it, it makes sense in a way, right? If you think about it, people should live a good life, right? That that goes without saying. But everything we do is kind of judged or graded, isn't it? You get out of school, you get a job, you get an annual review, right? And you're basically graded on your job, right? And it doesn't stop there. We grade sports teams, golfers, stocks and bonds, TV shows. And nowadays, especially with a computer, everybody wants us to review anything and everything we do and buy. (laughs) So we're always making a judgment on things, aren't we? We're always grading things, aren't we? So it makes sense that people would view heaven as the same way. Theology is the study of the nature of God and religious beliefs. This idea of trying to do my best to be right with God is basically then the theology of most, or what we'll say is the majority, right? in a conversation like that, some people will say, well, you can't know what happens after death. If I were to ask them, are you sure about that? You can't know? They wouldn't know. But let's go on. They say they can't know because They can't find an answer, they don't know. They don't know where to look for sure, they're unsure, and so, well, I guess you can't know because I don't know and it doesn't seem like most other people know either. To which I say, why not? And I've done this a number of times. I say to them, don't you believe God is a God of love? They say, yeah, yeah, I believe God's a God of love. And you, you believe he's our Heavenly Father, right? That's what we like to call him, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe he's our Heavenly Father. And you, you believe we're all God's children too, right? Oh yeah, we're all God's children. Then why wouldn't he tell you something this important? Why would he leave you in the dark about the most crucial thing in life? That doesn't make sense, does it? You would tell your own children, if you have them, but you understand this even if you don't. You would tell your own children everything you possibly could for their well-being, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't God tell us about this? So there's something wrong with this theology then, isn't there? And it takes us back to the proverb, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. There's something wrong going on here, and this is not a place to be wrong. The story we're going to read today in Luke 23, and you can turn there now, is confusing to most people when they try to apply this theology to it because it doesn't work. They can't make sense of it. But it's in the Bible, and it's something that Jesus says. So the story we're going to read takes place at His crucifixion, and we can only cover a few verses, and we can't even discuss all that's there. I wish we could, but we don't have time. But we're going to focus on a couple of things, so just walk with me through it, okay? Luke 23, starting in verse 33, says, When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of the God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Well, it's, it's bad enough to be crucified, huh? but to get persecuted like this? Isn't that terrible? Now, there was also an inscription above him that says, This is the king of the Jews. All right, let's just stop there for a moment. And notice that just about everybody is persecuting Jesus. And let's make an observation, though, of just the criminals at this point. The criminals, one being crucified on his left, one on his right. These are lawbreakers, right? They did something wrong. In fact, it's so wrong, they're being given capital punishment. All right? Okay, so let's put them on the scale. Let's rate them or judge them, grade them. What do we give them? It's a no brainer, right? An F. These guys get an F they're not headed for heaven. They're headed for hell. But watch what happens with one of them. Let's pick up in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Well, they really gave him a bad time about that, huh? But the other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Paradise means heaven, right? This criminal who is being executed for his crimes according to Jesus would that day be in heaven with him. How is it this man who had an F could possibly be going to heaven? something's wrong. It's not fair if I've devoted my whole life to doing good, but I can't be sure I'm going to heaven. But this crook, this murderer, this blasphemer, he's going to heaven today and he knows it. How is that possible? Either there's something wrong with our theology or Jesus is wrong. And since Jesus in fact is God and he's unable to do anything wrong, There's got to be something wrong with our thinking. Which takes us back to the proverb, right? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There's something wrong with our thinking. We need to figure it out. But some of you might say, well, you have to live a good life, don't you? And of course, if mankind doesn't try to do something like that, maintain some kind of civility, this would be a terrible place to live. But is that the standard to get into heaven? so let's cut to the chase about the way that seems right to us our problem is with our grading system and this grading system we're using we use it we compare ourselves with other people and since we see ourselves as often doing better than they are we think we've met the standard we think we're okay what if the standard is not our behavior We don't think about that part. What if even the A student who lives a better life than me is not the standard? And remember, we all know there's no perfect person living a perfect life, right? Everyone makes mistakes, right? Everyone has done wrong, even the A student, right? So they're not perfect, even though we consider them above average, maybe even excelling. What if the standard is higher than we think? One of our problems is that we think God is like us. We think he judges on a scale and he'll he'll do like we do. He'll let some things slide. He won't be so strict. He knows that we try and he knows that we fail. He has to be lenient because we're not perfect. That's what we think. That's what a lot of people think, right? We could not be more wrong. Do you realize what we're doing? We're only looking at it from our perspective. We're not taking into account his thoughts at all. And we're guessing at what he thinks. And we're forgetting he's the judge. It's his heaven. He decides. And he's not who we make him up to be. He is who he is. Our problem is that his standard is perfection, which is far above what the A student has done. You can see it in Romans 3.23, where it says, and this is a very well-known, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's glorious perfection, and we don't come anywhere near being perfect. Think about it. If you were absolutely perfect, and this means not only do you not do wrong, you cannot do wrong and you made a place called heaven that's just as perfect as you are, who would you let in there? Well, let me tell you something that may surprise you. God does not need us. So don't be thinking that somehow he, ha- he, he, he wants us in there because he needs us and somehow he's going to work around that. He doesn't need us And he certainly doesn't need people who willingly do wrong things. But you say, I'm not that bad. Again, your way seems right to you, but is it? You're not that bad compared to others, but you're not perfect, and that's the standard. When I first read the Bible, I found out I was not as good as I thought I was. And God was far greater than I thought he was. What about you, listening to me today? If I had a DVD of your life last week which included your thoughts, would it be okay with you if I uploaded it to YouTube? (laughs) Kind of a scary thought, huh? We're laughing, but inside we're thinking, oh, not mine. (laughs) Is it okay if I take that down and play it at the local theater? I can tell you Without asking, and you know this too, anybody and everybody would say, absolutely not, no way. And why is that? Because there are things we don't want people to know, things we're ashamed of, things we don't even like to think about. Which points to the fact that we have a problem, don't you see? All those things that go on inside our head, you have to know that God hears those. He sees those. That's where the, the acts of sin start. And that's where He's offended. It isn't when we do something, it's when we think it first. It's interesting, I was reading up on lying. They've done studies on lying, you know. And so I did some calculations based on their results. And did you know the average person lies about 45,000 times in their lifetime? So what if there was a DVD of your whole life? And you know, they have the scene selections, you know? Or maybe they have the index on this one. And uh, in that index, there are some things that say, number one, here's the hurtful things I wish I'd never said. My ten most evil thoughts. The worst thing I ever did. I don't think I'd be using this index, would you? The things I do in secret that no one knows about. The things I wish I had never done. A comprehensive list of all the things I have taken that do not belong to me. Comprehensive list of all my lies and deceptions, all 45,000 Plus. A comprehensive list of all the times I took God's name in vain. God does not need a DVD of my life or yours, does he? He sees everything and he has a perfect memory. How can we possibly be so presumptuous to think that we're going to heaven? Are you going to let an obnoxious, ragged, smelly, drug-addicted person into your house on your nice, clean couch and carpet? Ain't no way. we think God's going to let us into heaven with all this sin? Look around the world. They keep statistics on sins, on crimes. Things happen every so many seconds or every so many minutes. It's a clue that there's something going on here that's not right, right? He's perfect, why should He let imperfect people in, right? Heaven would be ruined, and that's, that's an understatement. There's no sin there. Not even the slightest wrong happens, there, or the slightest wrong thought. It's a wonderful place, if you think about it. But we would feel pretty uncomfortable there. Our theology fails us, and this is why. Let's say I was one of the criminals on the cross, okay? And I came to your house... And I took all your valuables, and I seriously hurt one of your family members before I left. And I got caught. What should happen to me? I broke the law. I have to pay the penalty for my crimes. For robbery, it's going to amount to some time in jail, right? But for the assault, that's more serious, isn't it? Especially in your eyes, if I hurt somebody that you love. Let us say by coincidence that you're my judge. And I'm obviously guilty. What is your sentence? You're going to throw the book at me, aren't you? As you should. Well, what if I tell you, you know what? I've lived a pretty good life. fact, all my life is good. It's just this one night I lost it. Would you let me go? What if I promise, and I'm sincere, that I'm going to do a whole lot more good once I get out of the courtroom? I'll even dedicate my life to the church, pray every day, get baptized, learn the Bible, and give 10% of everything I earn to the church. Would you let me go then? You would not. You are seriously offended. There's no way you're gonna let me go, no matter how sincere I am. But even stronger than that is the fact that in order for justice to be served, I have to pay the price for my sin, for my crimes. I have to go to prison, that's it. Or there is no justice. Do you see the parallel? If you've not understood this before, it should be getting clear to you now why our attempt to be good does not make us right with God. It should be clear that our scales and our minds and our grading systems have no business at judgment. Do they? Listen carefully. Life is not judged by a grading system. If it was, it would be pass-fail, and we would all fail. Life is not an issue of performance. For us, life is an issue of crime and punishment because we've offended God. We've broken His laws. So you say, well, then no one's going to heaven. We can't be perfect. As you said, we've already committed the crimes. We have to pay. If those are your words and you're sincere, you're starting to get somewhere even though you might still feel like you're in the dark. But hang on. Let's see if we can see the light through the scripture, okay? How did this criminal who's crucified with Jesus get into heaven? Because you and I need to know, right? Well... I hope you can see by now that in order for this man to get into heaven, the one thing that's blocking him is his sin. That needs to be gotten rid of. Not just some of it, not even most of it, absolutely all of it. Well, did you see that happen to him while he was on the cross next to Jesus? You didn't, did you? Neither did I. But according to Jesus, that man was ready for heaven. How can that be possible? Something happened to his sin. How else could he go to heaven? We know God didn't just look the other way and oh, it's okay. It doesn't happen. Let's go back to Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 39. And let's look at the words carefully. He says, but the other answered... And rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same condemnation? Now this guy had been persecuting, blaspheming Jesus just like everybody else and now something's happened. There's a change of heart here, isn't there? He now fears the judgment of God. Look at verse 41. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. Do you see what he's saying now? He now believes he deserves to be punished. It's right. And then verse 41. But this man has done nothing wrong, he sees Jesus is innocent. Verse 42, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Why did he say this? So we have to fill a little history in. There's actually a lot of history. We're going to condense it down. After the horrible fall of Adam and Eve, God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that he would send a Savior to save man from his sin. The Jews called him the Messiah. You heard Randy mention that in the singing today. Jesus claimed to be that Messiah, and in fact was. So before this thief was arrested, there's no doubt he heard about Jesus. There's no way you could live in Israel those few years that Jesus is ministering and not hear about the miracles, the blind people being given sight. The paralyzed people walking, people being raised from the dead. If they had newspapers, it would be all over the front page every day, right? So something happened with this guy. Do you see what's happened here? While on the cross, this man had a change of heart. And he came to the understanding that Jesus was, in fact, this Messiah. He believed it. If we go back to the Christmas story, what was it said about him in Matthew one twenty one? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. How about that? Huh? But how is Jesus going to accomplish this? There is literally hell to pay. And I love this part, First Peter two twenty four. In 1 Peter 2.24, we pull back the curtain to see something that happened that day on the crucifixion that was not visible to the human eye. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What's the penalty for our sin? Excruciating pain in hell Forever. That price must be paid. But understand this, God was not willing that we should perish, even though we should have. And he sent Jesus, and Jesus came to pay that penalty for our sins. Do you understand? This is a key part most religions just miss. It happened during the three hours on the cross. The Father took the wrath that you and I deserved and put it on his Son. Jesus became accountable for our sin and paid the price for our sin. Why in the world would he do that for people like us? He paid the price, which means now complete forgiveness is available. Do you remember how we said the thief would have to be rid of his sin to go to heaven? John 1.29 spells it out clearly. John John the Baptist is speaking. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. What happens when you have no sin? Romans 8, one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There isn't anything more important for you to know in your whole life than this fact, that Jesus died for you. And you may have heard that many times, and you keep thinking about this physical death on the cross and can't understand, well, okay, that seems like a good thing, but what I don't understand how it helps. The death we're talking about is the, is the death in hell that we should have had. That's what he did. He paid. He suffered that pain that we should have suffered. Okay, so what do we have to do then? All we can do is what the thief on the cross did. Go back to the scripture, right? We need to have a change of heart like he did, don't we? I now see that I'm a sinner who broke God's laws, and I agree with God it's wrong, and I I agree I deserve to be punished. It's right. You won't hear that too much around this world today, huh? We have to be willing to say those three hardest words. Anybody know what those are? I was wrong. I don't care what the majority thinks. I was wrong. I now see that Jesus is the one who went to the cross for the express purpose of saving me from my sin. And he was the only one who could do it. That's what makes him special. Listen to the promise in John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The whole world stands condemned because of sin. Forget your majorities. They mean nothing, even if they're religious. But just like this thief, you too, like anyone else, can be saved from your sin today. Do it today. Don't wait. If you think you can wait, remember Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way which seems right to a man. Do you think that's right? It could lead to your death. So we see the majority is wrong when it comes to heaven, but we don't have to be. You don't have to be. Don't, don't do, like it says in Proverbs, what seems right to a man. Don't do what seems right. Do what is right. Put your trust in the Lord. The thief woke up that morning, condemned. But sometime around noon, he knew he was going to heaven. I think you could do that today too if you still don't know the Lord. Hmm? Let's thank you. Lord Jesus, we look at the cross this morning and we see just how much God hates our sin. And rightfully so, if we were sitting in his place, we would agree. Help us to agree now, even though we aren't. But we also see, Lord, how much you love us because you were willing to pay the price for our sin. We can't imagine why you would want to do that. But I know I speak for many in this room and maybe some new people today. We are forever grateful, Lord. We thank you for your your great sacrifice, your immeasurable sacrifice. In your name, amen.